Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 68, where in a moment we discuss buy to let. That's today's show topic. It's on the way, like I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we've got an enormous resource of free advice right here and you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Get stuck in because in our programmes to date, we've covered mortgages, pensions, credit unions, help to buy schemes, premium bonds, life insurance and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much anyway. And last week, we looked at reviewing your mortgage. Now, remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. You'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge of what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Now, in all our journey so far, especially when you consider how many times we've looked at property, I was surprised to learn we've never once touched on this aspect of it, buy to let. I guess possibly the most obvious way to begin is by getting a definition of that out there just in case but you know my understanding of buy to let is property that you purchase with a view to making money for you by renting out to someone else possibly as accommodation or office space how am i doing so far well they i think we've had a few questions and at the end of the show revolving around property and some buy-to-let type questions but that was a good one to start the year today doing a, a show on on buy-to-lets Buy, buy to let can, can be a whole range of things. The most popular one in the past was people buying a property and then renting it out. However, nowadays you, you've got people doing buy to lets as Airbnbs, multi-unit blocks, HMOs. A, HMO stands for house under multiple occupation. It, it's when you've got a property that's let out to three or more people. Now these, these tend to command higher rents, but you've got additional costs and you need a, a special license if you're, you're doing an HMO. And you've also got enhanced safety standards to adhere to with things like enhanced uh, fire doors. So there'd be slightly more costs with, with that. Um, but bike, bike lets can incorporate a whole host of things. Holiday homes is another one as well. So there, there's quite a lot of different things that a bike let can, can incorporate I would assume, Phil, if you've got the ability to do this, and especially if you're in this for the, the longer term, buy-to-let property is a pretty good idea. Tell me about the positives. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people view property as a good long-term investment I mean, due to, to historic house prices. I think in England, the average house price has risen by 350% since the year 2000. So it's a fair old increase in that time. So a lot of people see property as an, an asset that will increase in the longer term. You're hoping as well as getting that capital growth, you, you've got rental income as well. So you've got a, a capital producing asset and one where, where you've got rental income coming in. A, another good thing with buy to let is that people like to have a physical asset. So for example, with, with Bitcoin or stocks and shares, you don't actually have anything like physical mm -hmm. so that that's something that property one of the reasons that appeals to people as well but i have a look again usually at this sort of time of year 
they, there's normally like all these, is it the like the Sunday Times rich list comes out? And I always have a look at it and think, right, how did these people get all their, their wealth? And you've always got a few that's maybe inherited it or made it through businesses, but you, you've always got quite a lot in there that's got property wealth as well. So a lot of people do see property as something that's good for the long term for appreciate and in value. Yeah, even even people who perhaps have come by their wealth another way. So, you know, yeah. like you say, people who've inherited it or maybe some some showbiz people or or that kind of idea, they'll probably be pretty big on, on property because they'll, they'll have been advised that way. And, and yeah. that can go on to become their biggest investment and their biggest yeah. earner simply because of the way they've been advised. Um, any any downside to buying a, an investment property? I mean, I suppose yeah. no, no one wants to stay in it. I, I know that that's, I mean, if you have a void period where nobody's staying in it, that's got to impact kind of any rental income. If, if the property's empty, you may still have bills to pay, things like council tax. If you've got a mortgage on it, you would still have mortgage payments to make. So st- stuff like that's important as well. I, I guess one risk, if, if you take out a mortgage, you, you've always got the risk that interest rates can rise. So that would be another potential downside there. I always go on about house prices rising and historically they, they over a longer term they, they tend to rise but house house prices can fall as well as rise and I, I have seen some people in the past who've bought not at the wrong time but they maybe bought a property and overpaid for it and then they come to sell it and, and they've actually lost money so it's important to remember that as well but I always say it's important to research the market before committing to buy a property to let out. Do some research on the rental demand in the area that you're looking to buy in. Tend to find pop- popular areas are, are often places where students you run about universities, educational place institutions run about there. They, they can often be quite popular for people looking to buy the let. And another disadvantage is that property is what's often referred to as an illiquid asset. So if you wanted your money back quickly, then that's all going to depend on how long it takes to sell. So unlike some assets that you can offload quite quickly and get your your money back, that's one downside with property is that it may take, depending on the market conditions, could take a a wee bit of time to to sell that. Mm. Now, never having done this, Phil, I have no idea how it works. I mean, in terms of tax, for example, or, or even how you go about buying it, whether it's assessed on... You know, if you have enough income to buy a second property in the same way that you're assessed to buy the first one, or is it always done as a business venture? Take take me through all of that and explain it to me, please. Quite quite a bit in there, and there's been a lot of tax changes over recent years as well. What one thing that you've got in, in Scotland, if you buy a, a second property, if it's over forty thousand pounds, you've got what's called ADS, which stands for additional dwelling supplement. Now, th- this is a tax that's charged at 4% of the purchase price. And this is on top of any land and buildings transaction tax that you would have as well. So if, if you're in Scotland and buy a second home for, let- let's say, 150000 you're going to have £6,100 to pay in land and buildings transaction tax and additional dwelling supplement. The, the tax positions changed quite a bit over the, the years on bike to let. In England and Northern Ireland, you, you've got what's called stamp duty land tax. That, that's what it used to be called in Scotland and Wales, but they, they changed it. So in Scotland, it's now called land and buildings transaction tax. And in Wales, it's called 
land transaction tax. So again, depending on where about in the UK you are, there's going to be differences in what you pay and the rates that, that you pay. But in England and Northern Ireland, it's stamp duty land tax. And in 2015, George Osborne, who was the, the chancellor at the time, he announced that buyers of second homes would need to pay an additional surcharge of 3% of stamp duty on second homes. So this included buy-to-let properties, holiday homes. So that, that's some of the changes that, that kind of came in there. And that's some of the costs that you would have when you, you purchase a property. I guess other costs you've got would be things like your solicitor's fees, usual costs that you would have when you buy. We've tended to find that the government in recent years, they've introduced various levies and tax changes almost to discourage buy-to-let investors. They, they wanted to give first-time buyers more of an opportunity to get on the property ladder. Um, when it comes to, to buy-to-let mortgages, all lenders have got different criteria. Most lenders uh, have got a criteria where you've got to earn a, a minimum amount of income before they'll, they'll lend to you. But traditionally in the past, lenders would look at the what the mortgage interest payments would be they would then say, right, what's the expected rent going to be? And they would then base their affordability on that. And in, in a lot of cases, as long as the rent covered 125% of the mortgage interest, then the lender typically would have been happy to, to lend you the money for that. So it, it, just to, to sort of go back over that, it means that you don't necessarily have to be earning a certain amount provided you can prove that the income you're going to get from the property is, is going to meet certain criteria. Yeah, there are a couple of lenders out there. That there's a few that you don't have to have any income. So all they do in that case is they, they'll look and they'll say, right, um, how much are you buy in? You've got a deposit to put down. Um, they, they would look and say, right, what's the, the mortgage interest payment? Now, a lot of buy-to-let mortgages are done on what's called an interest-only basis. So unlike a normal residential mortgage, it's more likely to be a, a capital and interest or repayment mortgage on buy-to-lets. The majority of buy-to-let mortgages tend to be where you just pay the interest. And the theory then is that at some point in the future, you can then sell that property, repay the mortgage, and whatever equity you've got left is yours at that point. Now, one, one of the advantages of doing it that way is that if you have a void period where you don't have a tenant in, you've got less money to actually be paying out. Whereas if it was on a repayment mortgage, you, you would have to, to pay out more. So lenders generally tend to be happy as long as the, the, the mortgage interest is being met by, typically the figure is 125%. Used to get some lenders looked for, for more than that. So if the rent was, let's say, £400, sorry, let's say the mortgage payment was £400 a month for the interest, as long as you were getting rent of 500 or more, some lenders would be happy with that. So it doesn't matter if you've no income at all in, in that case for, for some lenders. Mm. Yeah, okay. So typically per month, because it's it's interest only, in terms of what is is being paid to the lender, you're going to be paying less than you would on a traditional mortgage because you're not paying off the, the cost of the property as you go. Depending on the interest rate. So, so if you had an interest rate the same, on some buy-to-let mortgages, the interest rates can be a wee bit higher, but we'll, we'll kind of go to touch on that mm. fairly soon. Yeah, the, the, in general, buy-to-let mortgages would cost less per month because yes. you're only paying the interest as opposed to paying the capital yeah. and the yeah. interest. So ideally, I guess the situation is you buy a property either outright or with a mortgage, and however much you're paying on that per month has to be less than, than what you're charging in rent and what you pay in tax. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. 
I know that's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you could get some people that think, right, I'm, I'm really in it for the, the capital growth and hoping that the, the value will appreciate over time. But with, with buy to let investments, what most people are looking for is thinking, right, I want to make a bit of money off the rent and then try and top that up with a bit over the longer term with the, the property value rising. Mm-hmm. Now, some people who buy and let property take on the maintenance and the upkeep of the property themselves. Others bring in a third party, like a letting agent who, who deals with everything on the owner's behalf. But that incurs another charge as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's important to, to look at all the different costs that you have. There'll be things like could be letting agent fees, solicitor's fees for drawing up a lease. If you get a bad tenant, if you want to evict them, again, that's going to bring additional costs. So yeah, there, there's quite a lot to to take into account when you're looking at a buy-to-let. I know it's possible in the name buy-to-let, but wouldn't ask us anyway, Phil. Um, Can you, for instance, purchase a buy-to-let property and stay in it as well while renting out other rooms in the property? I mean, assuming assuming this property is over and above your main home, right? And I'll tell you what I'm thinking here. Say you're someone uh, and you work away from home during the week. Can you buy a property in, say, London, live in that Monday to Friday, rent out the other rooms in it at the same time so it sort of pays itself off? Yeah, if, if you stay in the property, that would be a normal residential purchase. Now, you, you're allowed to rent a room in your house. There's what's called the rent-a-room scheme, and that lets you earn up to a threshold of £7,500 per year tax-free for letting out furnished accommodation in your home. Now, that, that's if you stay in the property and, and rent out a room, but some lenders are okay. That, that circumstances that you mentioned, maybe if somebody wants a property somewhere else, for, for work during the week and then somewhere for, for weekends. Some lenders are okay with that. So that, that sort of thing would be okay, as long as you can can afford it. That, of course, I mean, you would need your income to be able to cover both properties and mortgages if you had a mortgage on, on both. I, I've seen in the past some people on low incomes trying to do a buy-to-let mortgage for themselves. So because I mentioned earlier that some lenders don't have any income requirements, they base it on the rent, in the past, I have seen some people try to say, right, I'll try and pretend this is a buy to let, but really it's going to be for me to stay in. And they do it to try and get the mortgage through and also to try and get an interest-only mortgage to be paying less. But lenders are wise to, to this. And um, people trying to do that, the, the lenders are going to, to spot that. So that's not something that I would recommend anybody tries to do. I was going to ask about stamp duty, but we kind of covered that here, Phil. Um, what are the what are the things that I haven't touched on so far in terms of buy to let properties? I, I would say, I mean, when we, we did mention stamp duty a, a wee bit earlier, another thing to to watch out from a tax point of view is um, capital gains tax when you sell. So if you sell a buy to let property that's in your own name. You've got to declare this to HMRC within 30 days and also pay any capital gains tax that's due within that time as well. Now, a lot of people at the moment are looking to buy to let properties via a limited company as opposed to having things in their own name. Now, at the moment, this can lead some significant tax savings, but you need to watch those interest rates on any mortgage could be higher um, and you won't have as many mortgage options available to you. Basically, for for the lenders, what they're looking at is if you're buying it in your own name, if you never pay that mortgage back, the lender can pursue you for that money. Whereas if you're buying it in a a limited company, it's a limited company that's liable for that debt. So it's sometimes not that it's harder for lenders to pursue, but that's one of the reasons why interest rates on buy-to-let 
limited company mortgages tend to be a, a wee bit higher. One thing that I always say as well with, with a limited company by the let route is you've got to watch because tax positions can change in the future. That's one of the great unknowns. I mean, there, there's been a lot of tax changes on buy the lets in recent years for, for buying it in your personal name. It is, it's one that for, for people buying through limited companies, that could all change. And But I always say, if, if you are looking at buying a property to let out, whether that be in your own name or the limited company route, I would always say that you want to really get some buy-to-let advice and speak to a tax specialist there. So let's let's look at it from the point of view of um, I've got a company, it's a limited company, and I want to buy uh, or I, I'm looking for property in another area because I want to expand my business and, and move there. Is there a case for saying, well, the best thing that you can do as your limited company is is to rent property rather than to buy it? Because it sounds like it's it's a bit of a minefield in terms of um, the way that things could go there. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot to take into account. That, that's it. So it's trying to weigh up things like tax positions. You've got to look and say, right, how do I think the market's going to go? Is the properties going to go up in value? What's if I rent this out in the future, what, what's the rent going to be? So there's quite a lot to, to take into account. We talked about uh, interest rates, Phil, and how you, you mainly pay off the interest on, on one of these buy-to-let properties when you've got one of those mortgages. But deposits and interest rates in general, do they differ a lot from the likes of a normal mortgage? They, they do. I mean, with, with buy-to-let mortgages, lenders typically look for at least a 25% deposit on buy-to-let properties. You do get some lenders that only need 20% deposit. At the minute, Virgin Money is one of those lenders, and there's a lender called the Mortgage Works. The, the Mortgage Works are a specialist lender. Um, they, they're owned by the Nationwide Building Society, so that's like their division that, that deals with the, the buy-to-let mortgages. There is one lender, Kensington, they're, they're doing a, a 15% deposit, but what you tend to find is that the interest rates are higher. When I had a look earlier, you were looking at over 5% as the interest rate if you only had that sort of deposit to put down. So at, at the moment, if you've got a 25% deposit, there's some t- fantastic buy-to-let rates out there. Um, with buy-to-let, it's important to weigh up the arrangement fees because you'll tend to find that the arrangement fees can be higher than, than on normal mortgages. As a general rule of thumb, buy-to-let interest rates at 75%, they aren't all that much different from a standard residential mortgage. But like I say, the, the arrangement fees can, can often be kind of higher. I, I had a look earlier at what was available today. The, the lowest rate at 75% when I checked earlier was 1.14% with the mortgage works, although that one carried quite a high arrangement fee. Normal residential rates just now on the same figures are about quarter of a percent lower. So you, you will pay a wee bit more on the interest rate on a buy-to-let, but it's the fees that, that are often really quite high. Just clarify for me, arrangement fees, are, are we talking about the, the solicitor's aspect of it as well here, or is that over and above? Solicitor's fees would be should be much the same as what they would usually be. The, the stamp duty and 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 land taxes are, are more on, on second properties, and it's usually the solicitor that collects that. But the, the arrangement fees are fees that lenders tend to charge on the mortgage for, for setting that up, and they're definitely higher on, on buy-to-lets. You do get some buy-to-lets with no fees, but the interest rates tend to be a, a bit higher. So a good mortgage broker would weigh all of that sort of things up for someone. Okay, I'm just wondering, Phil, not that I'm considering this, but you know, if you were to start up a company and you got some funding, 
is this a is this a, a decent business to go into where you you know look around for properties to invest in and buy to let and actually just go around and, and sort of build them up and try and get more and more and more? Yeah, you get. I mean, I, I know people that's got portfolios of mm-hmm. 20, 30 properties and, and they do it as a, a there, there's some that do it as a full time job. And I'm seeing it more and more on places like LinkedIn these days where you've got folk actually do it as as their main they, they, they buy some property for themselves and they buy some for, for others. They, they're looking to try and get properties at as good a discount as they can. Some people will, will buy them and then they, they call it flipping them. They'll try to sell them quite quickly to make a profit, whereas others, they'll, they'll hold on. One of the big things with buy to let, it's all the tax changes that's come in in recent years. There's been a lot of tax changes, and I already mentioned that additional tax you've got to pay when you buy a second home, but there's also been what's called the phasing out of mortgage interest tax relief as well. There was new rules came into force for that. It was in April 2017. And this restricts the, the amount of tax relief given on mortgage interest payments. Now, for higher rate taxpayers and additional rate taxpayers, this is not a very good thing for, for them at all because it means that they'll have more tax to pay on the, the rental income. Any rent that you do take in from a buy-to-let property, you need to declare that on your self-assessment tax return. You can minimise the tax that you pay by deducting certain allowable expenses, and this includes things such as property repairs, letting agent fees and, and buildings insurance premiums. It's like something where, again, as we always say, you need a fair bit of advice and an accountant possibly who's um, you know experienced in, in that field. Yeah, it, it's... If you speak to, I mean, some tax experts, I, I used to, when I used to do buy to let mortgages, when I was a mortgage advisor, and I, I could work out a lot of the, the tax permutations for people, but it's becoming more complicated all the time. And it's definitely good sitting down and speaking to some sort of specialist tax person for, for taking advice on that. In terms of the tax, you mentioned a couple of things. One, that it's, it's a fairly volatile scenario that there have been a lot of changes recently. Do you see the sort of roadmap for that continuing in that volatile fashion? That's that's one question. Uh, and the second, um, all these taxes that are applied to, you mentioned the, uh, I think it was ADS, was the, was the acronym in Scotland. Are the, These are applied uh, in a lump sum when you buy the property. So it's not something that's ongoing in that regard. Yeah, the, the ADS is, is like a, a tax at the start when you, you buy the property. And the reality is nobody knows what the tax position is going to be in the future. I know the government tend to want to try and help people onto the property ladder. And because property prices have risen so much in recent years, part of that is because you've got a lot of people buying property to make money off of it. Mm. So that's why all these tax changes have come in. And the, the answer really is that nobody knows what the, the tax position will be in the future. But that, that's one thing that governments can do. If they want to encourage people to buy property, then they can make the tax position better if they want to. Because first-time buyers can often get help with, like they, they sometimes don't need to pay as much stamp duty up to certain levels. And so the, the government can can do things like that. But that's one of the great unknowns. One of the the, the big problems you often hear about in London is, is you've got the likes of the the oligarchs who've just bought up property in London and they just sit on it because they can afford to, you know, wait until the the, the cost or the, the value of the property goes up and up and up and then sell it at a profit and not have anybody in there. So you've got properties sitting empty. Meanwhile, loads of people queuing up outside the door 
willing to bid to get in there, and it's just, it's just not moving. But what they've also done as well is uh, it used to be that if a property was empty, you, you didn't pay council tax on it, but there have been things like that that they're trying to change so that you've still got council tax to pay on empty properties. And it is, it's, it's crazy that you get a lot of rich people that buy up properties yeah. and just leave them them empty, which just given the, the amount of people that don't have housing is just crazy. So they do these these things in a bid to try and make the properties maybe move on. But yeah. uh, you know, if you're talking about really rich people, penalties like that aren't going to make that much difference anyway, I suppose. Uh, uh, tie this one up for me then, Phil. A, a good thing to have if you can, I guess, a buy-to-let property, but with caveats. What are the, the key takeaways for uh, for this episode and buy-to-let? I, I was having a look. I mean, according to the Office for National Statistics, the average gross yield on a buy-to-let property in England is 3.6%. Sometimes lower value properties can offer higher yields. And, and I was looking, and again, according to the, the Office for National Statistics, in the northeast of England, where house prices, house price averages are less there than, than in some areas, the, the yields were around 4.7%. But if you can get the right property in the right location, it's possible to find gross yields of more than 7%. And when, when you look at what you're getting at the bank at the minute, I mean, interest rates are really quite poor just now so people are looking for alternatives for their money and, and what i would say is it's worth weighing up what's called risk versus reward with a buy to let property there are additional risks but there are additional rewards as well so it, it's worth weighing everything up there and i in the past i've seen some people do very well from buy to lets i've also had a few that i've spoke to that wish they'd never done it so you you I come, I've come across all kind of, kinds of folk on the, the spectrum there. But at the end of the day, my, my advice would be to do your due diligence beforehand and make sure that it's something that you're comfortable doing. I know certainly in the past when we've spoken about investment uh, and we've talked about sort of risk versus rewards in, in general there, you've always said you like to advise spreading your investment across a, a wide spectrum of things which can and often does include yeah. property as a not almost a safe one but you know one that, that over the longer term generally tends to be something that is worthwhile i'd say it's good to diversify and, and you'll find i mean for example if stock markets are going up and down property is not necessarily going to do the, the same. So you could have one asset that's doing well, one that's not doing so well. But I, I am, I'm a great believer in diversifying. That's something that, that I look to do myself. And it, it, I'm a great advocate of that. And, and again, it's it, when it comes to risk versus reward, it's doing what you're comfortable with because not everybody is comfortable with, with, with risks as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, here we go, Phil, as we enter into the part of the show where you share your own life story, what have you got regarding a topic today on buying to let? Is that something you've ever done, I wonder? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had property previously and, and done okay from it. The recent tax changes aren't great. If, if you're a higher rate taxpayer or additional rate taxpayer, that's not so good. And also the, the additional dwelling supplement in Scotland is a, a bit of a pest as well. At, at the moment, it's something I would consider probably in the next few years. My, my oldest son, he's 17. So at some point I might look at another property possibly for, for him to stay in, but maybe with a view to letting it out at some point in the, the future as well. So definitely something I would consider for myself. And Phil, we always do this bit as well. You find inspiration through various folk you admire and you love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode on Buying to Let? I do quote this week's from someone called Chris Avery. 
second home buyers should go into this with their eyes very wide open. Hmm. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask him anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details in a second. Give it to you after this. Uh, Here's our first question. Hi, Phil. I've heard lots of varying explanations uh, on compensation for the recent storms. Where we live, we were without power or phones for four days. As I live with an elderly relative, we had to move them into a hotel because of the cold, and that came on top of losing our freezer contents. Is there one definitive place that we can go to research what we can claim for, from whom, and whether there's a limit or time frame when applying? This is going to apply to a lot of people, this, I would imagine. Yeah, well, I I was impacted myself recently as well. I I, I was out for six, six nights without electricity, now, I, I sent an email to SSEN, so that's Scottish and Southern Energy Network. They're the ones that supply the, the electricity in, in my area. Now, I, I sent them an email some time ago, and I've not had a reply at all. I did hear on the news somewhere that they were automatically going to compensate those who were impacted from Storm Arwen. Now, according to the, the Ofgem, they're the, the energy regulator, you can claim... £70 as a domestic customer if you had your power cut off because of that storm. Now, it also goes on to say on their website that you can get a further £70 for each additional 12 hours of being off supply. Now, usually there's a £700 cap. However, Offgem's website is saying that the cap doesn't apply if you've been without power because of storm Arwen. Mm. According to Offgem, you, you must claim within three months for unplanned supply cuts. On their website as well, also says to contact your local network company. Now, as I say, I did hear it on the news somewhere that they were going to do it automatically. But to be safe, you are probably best contacting them to to try and get some of this compensation. And the sooner the better, I'd imagine. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, because I mean, that's something that impacted us as well. And I'm just sitting here thinking, well, if that's £70 for day one, and then every 12 hours after that, we could be in for for, um, quite a a comeback here in terms of what they're paying out. But uh, fingers crossed, let's hope. Never seen so many trees down either. Oh, it's been crazy. One of the guys that I I work with, one of the guys in the office, he he had, I can't remember, it was like about 70 trees down. And him and all his neighbours, it was a private road, and they had to pay, it was like about three or four grand each to wow. get it all cleared. It was like crazy. Yeah. I know for us, well, I, I had to stay in a hotel a couple of nights, and a couple of nights that I stayed in my property in the, the cold. But, oh, I tell you, it wasn't good at all. It just makes you appreciate basic things like electricity, things you take for granted. Absolutely. Uh, now, next is one from Christina in Carnoustie. Now, Christina says, hi, Phil. Uh, I've come into a property following the death of a relative. I'm not sure whether to sell it now or hang on to it. I know I'd never want to live there, but I'm not sure if it's better to lease it or to try to sell. I, I'd probably say the best thing for Christine would be to sit down with our financial advisor. And then there, there's quite a lot to weigh up there. I, I would say there's no right or wrong answer. It's doing what she's most comfortable with. But if she sits down with our financial advisor, they can look at her plans for the future. They can also look at the various tax implications if she keeps it, if she sells it. I, I would say try, my, my advice to her would be sit down with someone and just like discuss it and see what way forward you yeah. want to do. 
It's a little bit like um, you know, winning that uh, that jackpot and wondering whether you should cash it all in at once or whether you should take you know a certain fixed amount over a number of years. I know. Um, I would just say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far, and we might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thanks for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show, search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question you can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you'd prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.